Hello, and welcome to another special episode of the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Uh, we do this weekly through HopeOnDemand.com. Always love your feedback. You can email us anything at HopeOnDemand.com. Yes. Send us anything at anything at HopeOnDemand.com. I like that. What was the main rule when you were a kid growing up in elementary school? Do you remember like there were classroom rules mm-hmm. up yeah. on the bulletin board? Do you remember any silly ones or are they pretty well, much the same? I don't know if this is universal, but the um, if the lights go out, you shut up. <laughs> you you stop <laughs> yeah. talking if those lights go out. I never knew what the I, I guess it was the only way to get you people's attention. Did they ever make you put your head down on the table when when the lights went out? All right, everybody. We need to have a quiet time. Like you were in elementary school. My my teacher would turn out the light. We had to put our head down. Your your teacher was having a moment, wasn't she? She just, she needed a quiet time. Right. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. But so God gave us a list of major rules. The 10 commandments pretty much cover the big ones, right? The big major stuff. And then there's like 613 different laws if you count them all up in Torah, in the Old Testament. But Jesus said you can hang all of them on these two if you... If you can master these two, everything else is going to fall in line. Yeah. It's to love God with everything you got. And the other is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. These three weeks, we're talking about how to love our neighbor when. And last week, it was about grief. Yeah. When you want to help in a tragic situation, but you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. We got a chance to talk to my pastor who's been through some tragic situations with our church on tangible ways to help. It's so helpful. Seriously, some of those things I'd never thought about or considered before would love for you to go back and check it out Uh, next week we're going to take a look at how to love our enemies Mm -hmm. people that have hurt us the unlovely people maybe not even apologized for it on purpose they love that what they did to us um and we have a a very special guest the houston chief of police on the outlook of how officers are able to love people that have done terrible things he's had three decades of service under his belt just recently promoted to chief of police yeah he yep. is a lovely Christian man, very humble. And just um, getting his perspective on that, I think will be very helpful because even though most of the time, those people in our lives that we might consider our enemy are not going to be someone you would press charges against. There are still things I think that we can glean from his service. Oh, yeah. that help us even with relationships sitting across from somebody at a family get together. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. How can I compartmentalize this? Can I love them and not like them? I mean, quite honestly. Yeah. You know, uh, and this week, very, very special guest that we've had a chance to talk to before. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear Lee Strobel, who wrote the book and then the movie came out, The Case for Christ. Mm-hmm. He's also got a new movie coming out. The Case for Heaven, I believe yeah. is what they're going to make another movie on. What's What's amazing, he's written so many of these types of books, Case for Grace. Mm. Uh, a Case for Miracles is one that I read. It's just a wonderful author. And it all started out with him being a huge atheist. Yeah. No desire. We're going to hear from him in a second. No desire to become a Christian uh, kind of happened accidentally. But perhaps there's somebody in your life that has rejected God, rejected maybe just altogether God. Sure. So they're an atheist or they're agnostic. They don't know what to believe. Um, perhaps they're of a different faith. How do we love these people well in our world? Yeah. What do we say? When do we give up or do we ever give up? Uh, How does that work, at least with with one story that we can look at? And that's Mm -hmm. Lee's story, because these um, 
honestly, many of these stories are years long. Yeah. It is a process. It's not a, hey, I found out about God. Let me tell my best friend or my loved one about God and they'll know him too. They may not come around for five years. Mm-hmm. It is a long, excruciating process at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. And so Lee's journey is is different than most. He's a journalist and very analytical mind. And mm-hmm. so he went out to prove and make a case against Christianity. But most of the people around us, it is going to be a choice of, of just stepping out and, and believing in something and getting people to, how would they even start that journey? They're not necessarily going to go across the, the globe to find people to argue a sure. case for or against. Sure. And so in Proverbs chapter 16, 21, it says that good judgment proves that you're wise. Okay, so if I have good judgment, it's only come my way because of Jesus in me, right? But then it goes on to say in that same verse, if you speak kindly, you can teach others. So I have Jesus in me. How do I get others to be instructed by this? How, do, how will they know? And then it says, if you speak kindly, you can teach others. So living as, alongside people in this, I think is gonna be our best bet as opposed to this day and age where we get red hot fire heads about everything. I will be the first to admit, especially when I'm following some sort of a commentary line about faith in general or something that I heavily believe that's you know political or otherwise. And I see that somebody is basically saying, my opinion is stupid. Mm-hmm. I, ah. Sure. I fight the battle of wanting to be unkind and say ugly things back and say, ah, uh-uh, essentially, you know. <laughs> that's super no. mature. Yeah, that's right. Right. So we're going to kind of, I, I think, I think it's really important to launch off that proverb. We truly want people to receive instruction from us. How do we go about it? One of the fruit of God's spirit in Galatians 5 is kindness. And we get that from his spirit. Mm-hmm. This is not something I'm going to be able to find in myself, but it's something that I find in his spirit that's in me. So I'm going to tap into that. We'll tap into grace together and maybe help those so that we can love on them well and and share Jesus too. Well, let's dive into Lee's story. Um, And he may be with us for a future podcast, um, but we've got a chance to hear his story before. So you hear it in segments here about when his wife became a Christian. Yeah. This would have been, I think, in what was this, late 70s, early 80s? Leslie, yeah. she there, There was an event with their child receiving a medical, there was a medical situation. I think in the movie it was portrayed as she was choking. And so Leslie had this come to Jesus moment, but Mm. she was an atheist too. Right, yeah. And here's what happened. My wife, Leslie, who had been agnostic when we got married, we both had similar worldviews. Neither of us believed in God. She became a Christian through the influence of a woman in the movie. Her name is Alfie. In real life, it was Linda, who was a, a Christian nurse. They became best friends, and Linda, or Alfie, uh, shared Jesus and invited her to church, and she went to church with her and checked it out, and then she comes up to me one day and tells me, Lee, I made a big decision. I've become a follower of Jesus. And as an atheist, this is the worst news. You know, I I, I thought she was going to turn into some holy roller or something. Literally, the word that went through my mind, first thought was divorce. Hmm. I was going to walk out. I I didn't want to be married to a Christian. I knew she was going to get sucked into this Christian subculture where I wouldn't be welcome as an atheist. I looked down the horizon of our marriage and I just saw conflict over how to raise our children, how to spend our money, how to spend our weekends. And I felt jealous of Jesus because all of a sudden there's another man in our relationship. 
Well, who's this guy? She's cheating on me with this Jesus guy who all of a sudden she's getting emotional support from. And I thought that was my role as the husband. So I'm feeling angry. In the movie, there's a scene that we actually toned down from real life. In real life, during an argument with Leslie about her going to church, I reared back and I kicked a hole right through our living room wall, just in anger and rage. I think they thought that was a little too violent for the movie. So in the movie, I, I knock over a planter in the house. But that's the kind of hostile reaction that I had because I thought this is based on fairy tales and make-believe and wishful thinking. And I wanted to rescue her. I figure there's got to be mind control going on here. Uh, what uh, Lee told us a little bit later is that wall was actually brick uh, and that he's the Hulk. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, but if he does, if you hear again, the movie, he says the movie, he's talking about the case for Christ, right? which at last check is available on Netflix it still, was, I yes, think. Yes, on Netflix. What I love about Lee being so forthcoming and letting us know what he was, was like, because he could try to hide and say, well, you know, I was open to believe. No, mm -hmm. he felt betrayed by his wife, betrayed by, in his mind, still a fictional Jesus. Yeah, like I, it's not that I don't think he believed that Jesus existed, but fictional in that he he died and rose again. Well, I I think what's fascinating you know? hearing that clip or being reminded of it is, is that um, uh, from the atheist perspective, see this is going to help me. Yeah, from the atheist perspective, the kind of being intimidated, um, because I I honestly don't think that I've ever seen one on the internet that would openly say in that moment, mm -hmm. "Well, I'm jealous." No. Yeah. The vile stuff that I've seen portrayed against Christianity is you're an idiot if yeah. you believe it. I'm not jealous. You're just stupid. Right. Like, and, and so I don't think you'd ever, but, but to hear his perspective now about yeah. what he was truly feeling, I think is fascinating to me because um, I, I think we all do assess the situation by what I'm seeing and mm -hmm. hearing. Mm-hmm. And I get mad and frustrated and kind of like you said, if somebody is going to insult my way of thinking, um, well, then I just want to lash back out, uh, honestly, shake the dust from my sandals. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or both. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't see what's going on inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it. My, my takeaway from that is I got to remember there's there's a battle going on inside. There's something that led him to that place of belief. Uh huh. Which ironically, and I would, I think I need to ask Lee the next time we get a chance, which I think we'll be able to next year, um, have a sit down with him. I would love to find out, does he believe as an atheist that there is nothing to believe in? Because I feel like that makes zero sense. <laughs> it's like, wait, that goes completely against what you're saying. I don't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. I believe we're just here for the time that we're here. It is what it is. But even that, to me, becomes a faith, as it were. Well, right. There's something to believe in because you don't believe it. Well, this is it. So I believe in today. I believe in right now. I believe that this is the time allotted to me. And that's it. And nothing really matters after that. Well, I think the faith and trust aspect for an atheist, it we all come to the same fork in the road. Is there a God or isn't there? Mm-hmm. And because nobody's seen him with their own eyes, um, we we split ways right there. Mm. And either you're jumping out in faith that there is a God, yeah. and then and then later there's more forks in the road. Well, which God is it? How we we believe he's revealed himself through the Bible, which means Jesus is God. Which you know, but but at that initial fork in the road, you you jump out in faith and trust that there is a God. Or and what they often don't acknowledge is that you jump out in faith 
that there's not a God. Mm. And, and you, I think Christianity from everything I see in debates with, you know, whether it's Christopher Hitchens or uh, uh, Dawkins or whoever is that Christianity is this stupid, hopeful, uh, hopeless, romantic type of, you know, and we're over here being just real. We're real and methodical and mature and you are immature and simple-minded. That's what they're saying about us. Yes. As Christ followers. As Christ, as any, any religious person, okay. quite frankly. Okay. And um, I, I think that doesn't get acknowledged enough. And I'll see some great debaters um, like um, William Lane Craig point out, you are jumping on a faith trust situation just like I am. Since you also don't, quote, know, you just choose to say that uh, atheism is the default and and that this is just what it is. And you people are crazy. Well, no, we see it the other way around. You are also in faith and your faith to us is much bigger than ours because of the evidence out there that signals that there is a God. Yeah. And so I think that that's I don't know, just all that culminated with with what he was feeling internally. Mm -hmm. I think it's got to bring compassion to our lives if we're going to have a good conversation, right. especially if it's somebody that's in our lives and that we know and love and it, they'll it, frustrate us the most. It helps us to not be as frustrated when you hear from Lee's perspective. If you have ever been flustered by speaking of Netflix, one of those documentaries that counts uh, something that wears the face of righteousness, but ends up to be an abusive cult. Uh -huh, yeah. If you've ever yeah. seen that and you let's pretend you have a family member that you think is headed down that road towards drinking the Kool-Aid. Right. You're going to be terrified. You're going to be angry. What do you mean? You're throwing away rationalism here. You're throwing away common yeah. sense here. Yeah, that's true. To follow this pipe dream, if you will. So that's kind of where he was at. And he felt betrayed. He's like, well, I'm supposed to be the person that you went to. And now you're going to this Jesus. Yeah. So what, do, what are we supposed to do? if we have said yes to Jesus, but the loved ones in our life have not. And I think what Leslie did is a beautiful example of what we can do. So after Leslie became a Christian, she went to church and she met some women and she said, I don't have any hope for my husband. He is the hard-headed, hard-hearted legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. He is never going to bend his knee to Jesus. And this one woman named Sylvia, God bless Sylvia, puts her arm around Leslie's shoulder and says, oh, Leslie, no one is beyond hope. And she gave her a verse from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26, that says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so that entire two years that I'm on this, you know, investigative journey, what I never knew every day, Leslie was praying that verse for me. And God ultimately answered her prayers. I love over time that. then wow. from in my life began to change for the good. I like mm. that you said over time. Yes. You become a new creation. But yeah, you, you see media changes, but it is process. It, it is a process. My daughter was five years old when I came to faith. All she knew for the first five years of her life was a dad who was absent, angry, kicking holes in walls, coming home drunk. I mean, I was very successful in my career, but what people didn't know is I was literally drunk in the snow in an alley on Saturday night. That's all my daughter knew. But starting on that Sunday afternoon when I put my trust in Christ, and as you say, over time, God began to change her dad, and she was watching. Something's new with dad. She never studied ancient history, never interviewed an archaeologist. She's five, but, you know, she could watch and listen. And then one day she came up to Leslie and she said, I want God to do for me what he's done for daddy. And she came to faith at age five. And then my son came to faith at a young age. 
Now he's a PhD in theology, a seminary professor teaching young people about, about Jesus. So God healed our family. I was a narcissist. I was a hedonist. I was a self-absorbed, self-obsessed person, atheist. I don't even want to ponder where we would have ended up had God not intersected with our lives the way he did. Reminds me a little bit of the woman that I talked to here recently. She said she was a emo in high school, okay, uh, which is the black makeup and the screamo music. Yeah, I feel like that was uh, goth in the 90s, uh-huh. punk rock in the 80s. Yeah, it's just cyclical. There'll be something else here soon. Right? I think maybe back in Jesus' day, they were zealots. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's the other one? Uh, the, uh, the, the Sadducees are pretty crazy. Let me tell you. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, she said, you know, she's talking about her mom and stuff. Her mom would drag her to church. And she said, I think I believed in God, um, always, but I, I wanted nothing to do with God at the time because my parents were squares basically. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you do now? And she goes, I'm a professor of theology at a private <laughs> Christian school. Like, oh, there you go. And it was just a good reminder. And whether it's an adult like Lee or just him talking about his kids, um, don't give up hope. Yeah. Because even like we were talking about earlier with, I don't know what's going on internally with an atheist. Mm-hmm. What I process is what I'm seeing and hearing. Uh, sometimes the indicator is somebody is going to go their own way, whether it's my kids or a friend and they're never going to come back. Uh, or they're never going to be here in general because they never, never even started down a path of Christianity. They're just always going to do their own thing. And um, there is a, a, a big shot that I just don't see everything mm-hmm. and that there is always, in fact, hope. Yeah. Look at, well, just look at the timeline of Lee's life. So somebody watered his life and he watered his kid's life. Mm-hmm. Leslie prayed that Ezekiel verse over him about turning his heart of stone into a heart of flesh to soften this aghast, frustrated, irritated, betrayed feeling. He was so, yeah, he was angry uh, with her decision to follow after Jesus. And somebody named Linda watered into Leslie's life. Yeah. And what's really incredible to me, what if Linda had never said anything to her? What if, what if Jesus had never been exemplified mm. to her? Then we wouldn't have this incredible story that it just shows that the waters and the ripple, the ripple effect of it, you know, our life and how we, we purpose ourselves to live it out can be the difference maker for somebody else to know Jesus. And I, I love Lee's perspective because it's important for us to make the people on the other side of the social media debate, human. Yeah. And not public enemy number one. No, wait, wait, this is somebody else that Jesus died for. They just don't know it yet. That's true. And that doesn't make me better than them. It just means that my encounter with Jesus happened earlier in the timeline than theirs. Hopefully. With you talking about what if Linda had never done that for Lee's wife, uh, it reminds me of uh, often I want to shut down if somebody's giving me enough eye rolls. You know, if I talk about what I learned at church mm. or just simply that I'm, yeah. I'm going to church and you have that family member or friend that's like, hey, I eventually w- want to go. This is just the Price way. Honestly, my my last name's Price. Just the Price family way uh, is, uh, oh, okay. You, you don't want me to talk about that? I will never talk about it again. Huh. Once a relative was uh, dating somebody and another relative said, uh, I, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Okay. 
and they got married without anybody knowing oh because goodness. they took it seriously. Yeah, I will never talk about it again. That's what you want. <laughs> so my mind goes there. Yeah, we could dissect all day long our, our problem. Right. Listen, we should never let ourselves get in the way. I mean, Lee was talking about being self-centered. Sometimes in my faith, I can be self-centered because yeah. people aren't understanding in my my timing. This isn't about my timing. It's about God's timing. And, and that's the point of just continuing on yes. in obedience. And and if if I'm walking my faith, mm-hmm. then I, yeah, maybe I'm not going to preach you know, down my neighbor's throat or my you know friend's throat or relative's throat. Uh, but I should be open about it as, as I am. It's okay yeah. to, to continue to live that out because like the ripple effect, like you talked about. You know, when Lee was talking about his two-year journey, so she's praying this verse over her husband. Leslie's praying this over Lee every single day for two years while he's overseas and he is trying to disprove what he thinks is only going to take a weekend. I figured if I could disprove the resurrection, then everything would come tumbling down. Because the resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. You know, in my naive mind back then, I thought, well, I could do this in a weekend. People don't come back to life after they're dead for three days. Well, it took me two years. And what I discovered in that two years about the historical evidence for the resurrection, I think, made a clear and a compelling and a powerful and a persuasive case that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, but he backed it up by returning from the dead. Did so. you set out with a purpose of, I'm going to make a book out of this and I'm going to prove you wrong? Or it was just to, to get your wife back? It was more the latter. Uh, I never expected to write a book. That was never in my plans. I just wanted to rescue her and get her out of this cult. Mm. Yeah, the cult is what he called it. So in that case, what eventually in those, I think it turned turn into two years. Yeah, there were like four things I think he said. What convinced him? The four things that convinced me. First of all, the execution of Jesus. Was he dead? Well, yeah, he was dead. In fact, the evidence is so strong. We not only have multiple accounts of this in the documents in the New Testament, we've got five ancient sources outside the Bible confirming Jesus' death. Even the atheist historian, Gerd Ludemann, says it's historically indisputable that Jesus was dead when he was crucified. Secondly, we have early reports that Jesus rose. In other words, I thought the resurrection was a legend, and I knew it took time for legend to develop in the ancient world. So I figured, you know, 100, 150 years after the life of Jesus, legends began to develop about the resurrection. What I learned decimates that claim. We have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christians. The first century Christians rallied around this creed based on facts that they knew to be true. The creed says Jesus died, why? For our sins, he was buried. And the third day he rose from the dead. And then it mentions the specific names of eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses to whom he appeared. What's important about this creed is how immediately it developed after the death of Jesus. Historians have dated this creed as early as within months of the death of Jesus. Mm. Within months. That is historical gold. It would be unprecedented in the history of the world for a legend to develop that fast Mm -hmm. and wipe out a solid Mm -hmm. core of historical truth. Next, we have an empty tomb. Even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted that the tomb was empty. So everybody was conceding it was empty. And then, probably most powerfully, maybe this was the last bit of evidence, I would guess. We have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Most of what we know from ancient history are from one or two sources. Nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament. That is an avalanche of historical data. And on top of that, 
we have seven ancient sources, six of them outside the Bible, that confirm that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Why were they willing to do that? After of such all, a Garden Gethsemane yeah. moment. Yes, yes. They scattered. They scattered. They were afraid they were going to get put yeah. to death. But of all the human beings who've ever lived on planet Earth, they were in a position to know for a fact whether this is true or whether it's a lie. They talked to him. They touched him. They ate with them. They knew the truth. And because they knew the truth, they were even willing to die for that proclamation. That legend thing blows my mind Mm -hmm. about it starting in just a few months after Jesus' death, potentially, because it'd be like if, uh, you know, I started a rumor now that uh, Kanye West uh, went to space. I don't know, something. And everybody, like, everybody, Kanye is alive. And and also everybody that knows Kanye is is alive and would be like, no, he didn't. (laughs) <laughs> like every everybody would be like, no, I we know we were here. Yeah. We're here now. But somebody, but you know, I could start a rumor maybe about, I don't know, Ulysses S. Grant. And and people might believe it because they, you know, they went around. And so I think that's just a fascinating view that that stuff doesn't happen in the time that the people experienced Jesus were alive. You can't make up something about somebody that culture knew. But why do we arrive at these places of making faith incredulous? C.S. Lewis is another very famous, used to be atheist mm-hmm. turned Christian. Yeah. And it almost kind of, we're going to hear from Lee in a minute when he finally says yes to Jesus. Um, it's not like, I don't know, he's not like jumping up and down. It's almost like a conceding. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that was C.S. Lewis when he finally, he's like, I... It was like, fine, you're real. It was kind of like one of those Uh where he's got enough information now to go, this is, this is true. Fine. Okay. God, you're real. (laughs) But this quote from C.S. Lewis, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy Mm. and nothing else will satisfy and we try to fill it up with lots of stuff. We do, every, every single day, there is a new article out saying, this will make you happy because this is your new truth. When there is one reality and it's rooted in Jesus Christ, it, it, I think we get away from reality trying to find happiness. And Lee was attempting to say before he said yes to Jesus that no, 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 the, the fairy tale is Christianity. Mm. Yeah. When in reality, it no, it's the only reality. And he got enough proof to figure that out. And so how do we get to that place, though, um, where we are able to actually invest into people's lives so that maybe a, a ripple in the water effect can take place? Understanding a mindset such as Lee's helps because it humanizes him it gives us a sympathy for his set of circumstances. He's a good husband. He's not perfect, certainly. He has been making mistakes. Who has not made mistakes, though? Yeah. He's trying to save his wife, and yet he, quote, stumbles upon, and I'm saying that, that's my own quote, stumbles upon evidence for Christ. 
And now there's this incredible testimony, the case for Christ. On November the 8th of 1981, at two in the afternoon, kind of reviewing all this evidence, and, and that's when I realized it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. That the most logical thing I could do would be to take a step of faith in the same direction that all these arrows of history are pointing and put my trust in Jesus. I think it's fascinating. And it makes sense for him. Mm-hmm. A lot of people you hear about their um, date, uh, their new birthday, I've heard people call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody put a time on it, but it makes sense for him because of the journey that he was on. I think for a lot of people that have come to faith, it's just all of a sudden one day you just kind of realize, yeah, I do believe this. It's not just, I'm not just, you know, copying my parents or just doing it just to do yeah, it. My faith has become my own. And you don't even really necessarily necessarily realize the moment you did believe fully. Mm-hmm. You just kind of realize you do mm-hmm. because you've taken this step of faith with the evidence, obviously, that's been presented. But it's still a step of faith because no man has seen God and lived to tell the story. And um, I love, though, that his journey was so like you said, just fighting until the end. And to me, it makes sense that he would remember the day and the time. Yep, I give. He's a journalist. Yeah, that's true too. That's true too. (laughs) I'm sure he had loads of those composition books filled with notations and then visit after visit with people who were not necessarily faith-based individuals. True, true. He's going to all of the experts and even police officers that he would interview. How much evidence does it take for you to put a witness on the stand and how much evidence would it take to sway a jury right. and discovering that through today's science, even like how that kind of thing works with, with, you know, justice and everything that Jesus would have like, not only would he have gotten off, but with flying colors, it would be like, no, this, this case for Christ is solid. He resurrected. He's still alive. People mm-hmm. can they, they had witnesses afterwards. The stack of evidence is huge. How do we get our neighbor to a, a place of, of being allowed to entertain that idea? And he talks about the importance of an invitation, whether it's a church service or in, you know, he is about to come up with another film, A Case for Heaven, A Case for Christ with something available in theaters. I just went online last night. I bought 23 tickets to this movie, The Case for Christ, to give away to friends uh, who don't know Jesus, you know, because I'm going to trust that God's going to use that movie in their lives. But that simple invitation that we can extend. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the thing is, if we invite someone to the movie or we invite them to Easter services at our church, what's the worst thing they can say? No thanks. No thanks. Yeah, that's not the end of the world. But what might happen if we invite someone to come to the movie? Just trying to imagine. Somebody getting invited by Lee Strobel to the movie that's about him and going, no, I'm good. You know, the movie's about me, right? You want to go? Yeah. Okay. I guess if you put it that way. At the same time, he has made enemies with people who obviously have heard his story and they think he's full of baloney. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah. What's really awesome about his story to me is that he can empathize in a way that you and I, Carter, cannot. We grew up in Christian homes. Um, we we grew up in the church. I've believed since I could remember, as you were just kind of sharing earlier, that's not Lee's story. So he can empathize with people who maybe grew up in an atheist or an agnostic home or of a different faith. And so that, that helps um, in trying to hopefully solidify the evidence for those 
who maybe grew up in similar circumstances. Um, I'll never forget when he actually, he came to where we work. We do a radio show and he came to where we work in Houston, Texas area. And somebody met him outside the premises after we were done on the air. Oh yeah. Like he immediately, our security people were there, but yeah, there are lots of people that are unhappy with his story because they're, yeah, they're passionate. Well, and, and, um, and when it comes to the people we know, uh, the, the atheists in our lives or, or just non-believers in our lives, you know, not everybody that's not a Christian, uh, doesn't get on this naturalistic bandwagon, Mm -hmm. uh, of there's nothingness after this life. You know, some people just go, "Eh, I don't really believe in God. And they just kind of, they don't think about it again. So whatever the situation, whatever they're at on that scale, uh, to me, that's encouragement, not just an invitation for a movie or a concert or whatever, Mm -hmm. but to keep the dialogue going. Mm. Often, just like the attitude, if they give me the eye roll, I feel like I don't want to bring up my faith in front of them again. But also, if they don't seem to want to talk about it, I want to respect that as much as I can. But my goodness, if it's been a couple of years, I don't think it's the end of the world to go, so uh, where are you at on your your faith journey? You still kind of believe in the same things? Like, I just... It's hard because culture right now mm-hmm. will deem, um, especially Christians, but you are somehow hate the person if you don't respect their wishes. I know mm-hmm. what I see online a lot is these Christian missionaries that try to force their rhetoric on these people that already have their God. Like, and it's like, no, like we're simply sharing like like they were, we're not going to make people accept it. Yeah. Uh, like culture kind of presents that. Um, but also there's, there's that rhetoric that if I bring up Christianity or invite somebody to church, it's somehow offensive. Yeah. The world is offended by it. But I think for at least the people in my life, every few months or every couple of years is not a big deal to just go, how you doing? What are you, are you still believing the same thing? Or have you tried church or I just haven't checked in with you lately? And making sure that before you have that conversation again, if you've already gone over with them, the basics of what it is that they believe. Yeah. That you have some firm kind of understanding that you grasp what it is that they say that they believe. Oh, sure. So that oh, yeah. you can, you know, talk with them. He talks about being a, a hedonist. Uh-huh. So I, I'm looking up hedonism. It's the ethical theory that pleasure in the sense of the satisfaction of desires is the highest good and proper aim of human life. That's like, just the world, man. <laughs> live your life to the fullest because, yeah. you know, today you, you can live and tomorrow you die and then there's nothing after that. It almost, it says almost something similar to that in the Old Testament when Solomon's talking in Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it the different outcome. Yeah, the hope at the end is the different outcome, right? Um, especially if you connect that passage of scripture to all scripture and not just that one little passage because you can lift it out of scripture and make it sound like whatever you need it to in the moment sure but um okay so let me let me talk with my friend who says you know what this is all i've got well what does that look like what is so how are you enjoying what you've got right now and um taking that moment just like paul did a little bit like with what he did in athens in the idol erected to the unknown god and there was nothing on the platform but it's like hey i'm gonna take this i'm gonna run with it Hey, I noticed that you've got this thing built up to the unknown guy. Can I tell you about him? So if they're talking about pleasure and what is amazing, maybe it's their family, maybe it's their job. How's that going for you? How is that fulfilling for you? Does it feel like this is the ultimate? And then just kind of asking the Holy Spirit to help you launch off of 
those types of answers that they share. And maybe there's an opportunity there to share into, or maybe you just take it and pray, pray over them. But I don't want to go in with the mindset of, I am going to save them. Jesus already saved us all. We just have to accept it. So how do I, how do I bring that life-giving freedom that I already know into conversation with people? It's not, as you shared earlier, hitting or beating somebody upside the head with it. It's about coming alongside much as our creator came into human flesh and did that very thing, walking alongside people and exemplifying what light and love looks like. And he let people walk away if they wanted to. Exactly. That's hard. It is hard. There's some opportunities. Uh, you know, we connected with Lee a little bit later after this initial conversation, and it was during the pandemic. And we were asking, how do we connect with people um, who aren't saying yes to the Lord? How, how can we reach out to those who need so desperately to know the truth? Well, there's a lot that we can do. You know, the Bible tells us to um, be ambassadors for Christ, to share uh, the good news of Easter. And uh, a couple of things we can do, first of all, to be sensitive, because a lot of people who are uh, suffering are suffering a lot more than we are. You know, I mean, there are people who've lost loved ones. There are people who've lost their businesses. And, and so as we reach out, we have to do it with a special sensitivity. And we can do some simple things like making a call to someone. You know, now, we tend to call our Christian friends, but why not reach out to someone we haven't seen in a long time and just give them a call and say, hey, how you doing? I've been thinking of you. Someone who may be far from Christ and may offer an opportunity as you update them on your life to be able to bring up your involvement in church and ask them, do you go to church or, you know, where are you at spiritually? And, and then to end the call by saying, may I pray for you? Yeah. You know, I've never been turned down by anybody that when I asked them, can I pray for you? Mm. And it, it, some people have never been prayed for. And just a simple prayer of, for God's blessing on their life, for protection and their safety and so forth, that God would bring peace into their life. You never know how that could plant a seed for a future conversation. And then we can provide a resource. For example, a lot of people have Netflix and my movie, The Case for Christ, which has the gospel in it, that's available for free on Netflix. Here's an opportunity to watch something that fits right in with Easter because the evidence for the resurrection is in that movie and the gospel is in that movie. We've had countless cases of people who have come to Christ after watching that film. Uh, Lee, your story is so great because you have you know both perspectives. I mean, sincerely, both sides of the fences as a former atheist and now a believer. What would you say if you could get into the, your mind of your past self? Uh, me as a believer, I don't want to pry too much. I don't want to come off too strong. What would be a good answer of if somebody's wondering about too much smothering, I guess, yeah. a Christian smothering. How would you answer that? What what would scare somebody off and, and what does it that we overthink? Being sincere uh, goes a long way. These days, people are more interested in spiritual matters than we give them credit for. 22% mm -hmm. um, of non-Christians say that this pandemic uh, is resulting in more interest in God and spiritual matters. Uh, we all feel it. Our tendency is to shrink back rather than be too forthright. These days, I would assume that people are more spiritually open than they perhaps were a couple of months ago. Uh, it's the typical question that you get. How could God? Would you just go ahead and, and you've done such a wonderful job with us in the past and just kind of refreshing over yeah. the answer that you would give to how could a how could a good God allow something like this to go down? 
Yeah, I'd say a couple things about that. One, when somebody asks that question, often they are going through a personal loss or personal tragedy. Mm-hmm. And the key in that case is to be Jesus to them, to figuratively put our arm around their shoulder and, and, and to encourage them and pray for them. They're not really looking for a deep theological answer. They're looking for someone to love them in the mm-hmm. midst of their tragedy. But there are good reasons to understand why this has occurred. I mean, uh, the Bible gives an explanation for that, and that is that um, God gave us free will in order to be able to love him and to love each other, uh, which is the greatest value in the universe. And we've walked away from God. All of us, uh, from the first person, has uh, told God to shove off, basically, at some point in their life. And, And as a result, that's opened up the door to sin in the world, moral sin, which is the way we mistreat each other, and natural um, 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 results, which is in nature, hurricanes and tornadoes and, yes. and viruses. And, um, the, you know, the Bible says the door was open to that. Yeah. And uh, as a result, we live in a world not as God intended it to be. Jesus was real honest about that. He said, I'm telling you these things so that in this world you may have peace. Uh, the truth is you will have trouble in this world. But, he said, have courage. I have overcome the world. So he's saying there, he's being honest with us uh, and saying, we, you live in a world that is stained by sin, and the consequences of that affect us in, in a million different ways. But he's saying, in the midst of that, I can give you the two things you need the most, peace for the present and courage for the future. And uh, that verse, John sixteen thirty three, I think uh, is an encouragement. Um, you know, some religious leaders say that, that um, suffering is maya, it's an illusion. Well, no, it's not. Um, it is real. Suffering is real, and Jesus acknowledged that, but he says, in the midst of that, I can give you peace and I can give you courage. That's great stuff. It really um, is. That's, that's timeless, but obviously it's great in the throes of an uncertain pandemic that we were going through. And we feel like we're kind of jumped from the frying pan into the fire with other issues. Sure. Um, that can, obviously, uh, if you're listening right now, it may not be July of 2022, but we have seen things happen in Europe with Ukraine. Uh, we've seen political things uh, take place across our, our nation um, that are divisive. It's, it's time to tap into peace. And when, when others see us at peace and courageous, something happens, regardless of whether they agree with us. There's something that takes place when I even look at a political figure that I don't necessarily agree with fundamentally, but I see them calm and respectful of somebody else that's sharing and they're not combative and ugly and yelling at the other person, calling them an idiot or whatever it might be. I don't know. Um, There's something that happens in me. I'm calm now Mm. and I'm listening. I'm listening to what they're sharing. Am I calm when I am responding to somebody? Sure. We've talked about that before, the difference between reacting to people and responding. Do I really want to love this person because that's what this podcast is all about. And how do I love them well? I need to bring peace into the midst of these ugly circumstances because God calls us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for those are my kids. How do I do that? I need to first be at peace in my own heart, in my mind. Breathe in Jesus so that I can bring in his light and his love. Uh, I shouldn't. Let's just say it's your family that you have somebody, let's just say it's your cousin and he's an atheist. And my goal shouldn't be for argument's sake 
let me learn as much as I can so that I can make him look like an idiot in front of the rest of my family <laughs> right. and prove him wrong. Now, does that feel good? Of course it feels good. But what I should do is be, even if it's in front of family is fine, but I should have the same heart to be able to have a reason for the hope that I have, as the Bible says, mm. and I believe it's Thessalonians, that may be Timothy, um, that even if it's just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, mm. I should have that same passion not to win the argument, but to convince him mm. that this is true. Mm. And let's just get all the, I think that's what I'm most passionate about. Why I get so riled up is because there's a lot of misnomers and rumors and untrue things that people post about the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there's uh, somebody said something the other day about uh, on, on Facebook, it was a completely different topic, but it was something about um, a policy, you know, Christians or Republicans using uh, the Bible and policy. And it said, you know, the Bible says that you can't have uh, interest on loans. So we should cancel all student loans interest and make the Republicans say and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I, I don't really care about the political point. Can I can I make sure that you guys know that the Bible actually says that for a specific people at a specific specific time in a specific way? Like, I just want people to know exactly what it says, whatever the circumstances. That part that we were talking about lifting scripture and twisting it to yes. say what you want it to say. That's what riles me up the most. Yeah. Can we make sure that we're all on the same playing field, that we understand it as it's intended as much as we can. And then if people choose to walk away, then they choose to walk away. Mm -hmm. And I have, and I, and I have to, and I want to love them even if they walk away. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just want all the facts out there. We should be as dedicated as Lee is in presenting the facts, mm -hmm. but again, not just to, smack smack them down with right, it right no but that they truly get it and then if they choose to reject it then they just choose to reject it we were talking at the very beginning about the fruit of the spirit which is is um well there's nine fruit uh love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control we actually did a whole podcast series about the fruit of the spirit invite you to listen to that if you haven't to already but you know kindness and goodness going hand in hand in this it is, it's not kind or good to want to smack somebody upside the head. Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it just isn't. You know, we talked about what is hedonism. There's that putting pleasure up on a pedestal and that's what you're living for is the moment. Well, there, that pleasure aspect. You know, if you live to regret the action of smacking up somebody upside the head, then you know it's not okay. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have said it that way. In that moment, I was wrong. Sure. I wasn't Christ honoring. I wasn't Christ-like. It was nothing good or kind. I had an end goal in my head of like, I'm going to present the truth. Mm -hmm. But you did it in a way, it's like you put a really good steak meal on a trash can lid. Mm -hmm. and you served it up ugly. That's not how Jesus intended us to share truth. It's to share it, not blast it, you know, per se. Sure. So, yeah, I think it's really, really good to, even in those moments, we may have the right messaging but the enemy wants to take that knee-jerk frustration response and twist it up in our mind. Yeah, but I'm telling him the truth, so mm -hmm. I'm going to go and make him feel like an idiot. Well, actually, we're serving the enemy's purpose. So we are yeah. just I, I think, <laughs> yeah, crashing over and over again. I see the, the example from Paul and even Jesus. 
hey, it's okay to be blunt. It is just fine to be blunt. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. But am I coming at my atheist neighbor or cousin in the scenario that I set up? Mm-hmm. And is my motivation to make them look like an idiot because they make me feel like an idiot for not for, for believing. Yeah. And, and so I think often with what we see, especially in, in quote Christian America and my right to my right, because I uh, choose to believe when so many people talk about God, there's, there's just that attitude of, I don't want to look like an idiot. So did you know about this? Yeah. It's called truth and love. Those are the guardrails, yeah. right? Yeah. So Jesus was blunt, but he spoke in love. Yeah. Truth and love. So was Paul. Paul even goes so far as to say, I wish that I could take the burden of people's eternity on my own body. I wish I could go to hell for my Jewish brothers and sisters, basically, is what he was saying. But that's not the way God set this up. We all make our own personal choices. Right. And that's a pretty bold statement for somebody to say. I would live eternity out in hell so that my people would know the Lord. So he clearly loved his people. Yeah. So even though he was blunt, we uh, we give ourselves these excuses as to why we say the things that we do. And again, am I putting it through the, the guardrails that the Holy Spirit has defined and not my own? Because otherwise I am putting myself on my pedestal and I'm making my own agenda the idol in my life mm. and not God. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay, this is part two of how to love our neighbor when, when they're grieving and when they reject God. And next week, uh, regardless of what they believe, when they've hurt us, when they're our enemies, when they've hurt us and you're not sure how to move forward, even if they've apologized or, or especially when they have it yeah. and maybe they have it on purpose mm. and it's going to be a, a great, fascinating look, uh, with a, uh, a, a great short interview with, uh, tr- uh, Houston chief of police, Troy Finner about how, from an officer's perspective, how to love enemies. Uh, so next week, we'd love for you to join us to cap off this series of How to Love Our Neighbor When. This is the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Of course, anytime, email us about anything, anything at hopeondemand.com. 